Hi, and welcome to Unsolved Mysteries of the World, where we explore the unexplained. Our topics include missing persons, UFO and aerial phenomenon, unsolved murders, lost treasures, cryptozoology, urban legends, conspiracies, ancient archaeological anomalies, and much more. If this is your first time listening to us and you like our show, remember to subscribe when you get a chance. Each episode, we will dive into a topic or case with an in-depth narrative and include special guest interviews where possible. This episode, we will examine one of the most documented cases of poltergeist activity that took place in a small apartment in 1970 and also speak to Dr. Christopher Larson about the topic and his research. This is Season 1, Episode 4, The St. Catharines Poltergeist. In February of 1970, police officer Richard College, formerly Canadian Armed Forces Infantryman, opened the door to a small downtown apartment to investigate what his colleagues described as strange events. He was told that loud noises could be heard from within the walls, objects would fly off walls and shelves, and furniture would levitate, and that a boy was presumably either the cause or the center of such mysterious mischief, which Roman Catholic priests were now praying over. He stepped over the threshold of the apartment door a skeptic, but exited the residence a complete believer in the paranormal. And he wasn't the only one. Other police officers, Roman Catholic priests, nuns, newspaper reporters, a city building inspector, a lawyer, two doctors, family, friends, and complete strangers all witnessed the strange goings-on at 237 Church Street in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. Today, it remains the most documented case of poltergeist activity known, and it also is the least publicized because the family, the boy in question, and everyone surrounding the case tried their hardest to not to attract any publicity or notoriety. Even today, the boy at the center of the attention in 1970 wishes to remain anonymous. Others involved in the case also requested obscurity, and their names have been changed for this podcast. The incident started at the end of January 1970 and seemed to only happen with John and Barbara's son Peter, aged 11, when he was in the apartment either just after school or just before bedtime. At first they heard a scratching noise coming from the walls, and then later the scratching noises got louder and knocks and bangs were heard throughout the house. Peter's father suspected rodents were to blame and called the building manager to complain. The building manager indicated the building was not infested and just to be sure had a pest control company inspect the apartment to which he declared it free of rodents and any other small animals. Many times Peter was woken up by the banging, but then in one instance, just as he turned on the light to see what was awakening him, he noticed a chair in his room move on its own accord, some two feet in his direction. This scared Peter, and he called out for his parents. They rushed into the room to see the chair, now was moving back towards its original location, seemingly on its own. Peter's father investigated and could not find a logical explanation. Several days later, while making dinner, Peter called out to his mother because a cup set on the table in front of Peter was levitating and vibrating. As his mother turned to look, the cup flew across the room and smashed into the wall, spilling its contents, and then finally banging down towards the floor. As Peter and his mother were astonished and in shock at what they had just witnessed, the cupboard door started rattling, 
as if a low-frequency noise was making them move about ever so slightly. Then the door to the apartment opened on its own. Peter's mother grabbed him by the hand and rushed into the bedroom as she did not know what else to expect. But then suddenly, everything stopped. Peter's father tried to explain this event as the vibration from a passing train or a large truck. Peter was not so convinced it was merely a natural occurrence and felt that his father would simply explain away everything he was witnessing. A week or so later, Peter was awoken in his sleep. He felt his bed rise up and down, thumping on the floorboards. His desk lamp began to flicker and he screamed out for his parents who ran into the room. Peter's bed then made a final thump into the floor and with it several of his toys and objects in the room moved about erratically in every direction. Peter was scolded by his father but his mother comforted Peter. But soon Peter's father would soon witness the phenomenon firsthand. The next evening as he sat at the dining table it moved rocking back and forth. Then two chairs tipped on their sides and fell to the floor. Three loud knocks were heard coming, this time from the roof. Peter then noticed the light bulbs dimming, and suddenly a cushion from a sofa was sent flying across the room towards his father. Peter's father could not explain this situation, and he was still believed it was something to do with the apartment. The parents had an argument over the event, and Peter was sent to his room. The next day, Peter's mother relayed her worry to a congregation member at her church, who convinced her to speak to Father Melvin Stevens of the St. Catherine's Diocese. The priest had offered to bless the house the following day. Upon entry into the house, he noticed that there was an immediate temperature change and indicated it felt deeply cold within certain parts of the apartment, but only where Peter had been or currently was sitting. The ritual was done quickly and the priest sat down for tea. Suddenly, the spoon next to his tea flew off the table and a picture hung on the wall fell to the ground. Peter then fell to the ground flat on his back and seemed to have blacked out for a moment. The priest began another prayer and then suddenly the dining room table and chairs began to float two inches off the ground and then suddenly banged down. Peter's mother rushed to Peter to help him up. The priest was convinced something otherworldly was going on and he said he would need to return with more help. Several nights had passed, and then suddenly there was a flurry of banging noises and furniture moving about at all hours of the night, seemingly at random, but always centered around Peter. Furious, Peter's father called the police as he thought someone was either neglectful in the building maintenance or that someone was playing tricks on him and his family. He argued with his wife, convinced there must be a natural explanation. Police responded and reported hearing strange noises and reported that furniture had seemed to be moved about. Police were unsure how to react to such a call and decided to call a city building inspector to determine if the building or even another tenant was to blame for what was going on. The building inspector determined that the noises and other incidents could not be attributed to the building itself. Everything, according to him, was in proper order and the nearest train tracks were too far away to cause any disturbance. And furthermore, he stated no other tenant, previous or within the building, had any issues or complaints. Police then contacted the engineering department of St. Catharines, who inspected the building and found no structural damage within the apartment building. The gas company was also called, with the entire heating and water system inspected, and everything was working fine and in good condition, all well within normal operating specifications. The police officers even bled the hot water radiators, but still the noises persisted, and so did the strange events of objects moving by unseen forces in the apartment. 
Police were called the second night by Peter's mother, who was in the midst of a heated argument with Peter's father. The banging got so loud, the responding officer could hear it before he entered the apartment. But as soon as he entered, it stopped. Then the responding officer noticed that Peter's chair on which he was sitting was moving about inches left and right and up and down, and Peter had a scared look on his face. The police officer told Peter's mother she had better call the priest back, and quick. Suddenly, everything went silent and Peter's chair remained still. The officer waited, but nothing further was noted. Peter's father apologized for this unruly behavior, and the officer was satisfied that perhaps things were now getting settled down. Police were once again called to the residence when Peter's mother explained that Peter was being thrown about by an unseen force. A lamp had been thrown to the ground. Peter was pushed off his bed several times and objects were thrown at him, causing him fright and harm. Peter's father also showed the officers the plaster walls in his bedroom, which were now bulging out towards his bed. Police then interviewed Father Stevens, who now made the apartment into his second home. He said earlier he had witnessed Peter in his bed being pushed to the center of the room by some unseen force, and that prayer did not work to stop it. Next, police interviewed a nun, which gave a similar description of the events. While examining the bedroom and hallway, the dining room table and chairs overturned. The responding police officer then called upon another to join him in the investigation because he wanted witnesses he could trust completely. Officer Robert Richardson entered the apartment. We went there and we're standing in the doorway of the living room. And the mother's over here and uh, my partner and sitting right across was a, a priest who looked like he had a white collar and a nun. And the boy came in, he sat in this chair right beside me. And while I was talking to the mother, this chair just all of a sudden lifted in the air and threw this child across the room. But at the same time, I could see the priest go and the nun go. <laughs> and, and, you know, you just feel a funny feeling come over you when you see this. As Father Stevens and the nun prayed, officers investigated but could not find any answers. They then concluded the investigation and exited the apartment. At 10 p.m., they were called back to the apartment because the phenomenon was occurring for the past 20 minutes nonstop. Officer Crawford was met by a frantic woman on the staircase leading up to the apartment. She indicated she was a neighbor and that she had just witnessed something awful and said she wanted nothing to do with what was going on in the apartment. Officer Crawford entered the apartment and immediately was told to go to Peter's room. Here he saw Peter atop his bed, which was floating above the floor about a foot high. He investigated the situation, but could not offer a solution. It's as if whatever was happening was defying the laws of gravity and physics, he later said. Father Stevens said he would request the right to do an exorcism on young Peter, as he believed something evil had been tormenting him. Suddenly, the bed lowered, and all went silent. Over the course of the next three nights, similar phenomenon occurred, and over five independent police officers witnessed and reported the strange events. The strange goings-on finally leaked to the local newspaper, and the story was syndicated across Canada and the United States. Soon, newspaper reporters and news crews appeared to get the latest information. The family refused to talk and wanted no publicity or notoriety. The press explained the story as a haunting and a demonic possession. 
The family hired a lawyer to act as a family spokesperson and to deny access by any press. It is reported by this lawyer that the National Enquirer wanted to run an exclusive story. They sent the Warrens, a husband and wife team of ghost hunters and self-proclaimed demonologists to investigate. It is reported that the Warrens wanted to sensationalize the story and offered the family a cut of the profits they would make from books and lectures. They even offered a small amount to the family lawyer if he would convince the family to allow them access. The family refused and apparently the Warrens were sent packing. The next day, however, during a vigil by family in the church, a woman dressed as a nun tried to enter into the apartment. Later, it was determined she was from the National Enquirer. Officers now set up watch on the house and things got even worse. They report Peter being pushed up against the wall by an unseen force, pictures swaying back and forth as Peter walked by, and a sofa which four people sat upon raised off the floor as if weightless. A bookshelf fell to the floor, kitchen cabinets opened and shot on their own. Everything imaginable was happening. The only two items that remained in the apartment which were not affected by the unseen forces of the poltergeist were a crucifix and a picture of the Virgin Mary with a palm leaf over the frame. Those present could not fully explain what was happening, and so to further proceed with a thorough investigation, detectives were assigned to the case, along with a police photographer who documented the goings-on with a camera, a movie camera, and a sound recording device. None of these had been released to the public due to privacy laws. With concern over Peter's safety, officers asked if the family would vacate the apartment to not only allow for further investigation, but to allow the family the means of getting away from the public eye. The family agreed and went to stay with relatives in Montreal for a few days. Here, Peter found that the phenomenon slowly diminished. The family then returned to the apartment where Father Stevens had performed a house blessing once again. Peter and his family reported no more activity. It was goddamn scary, one of the scariest things I've ever been involved with, says Officer Fox, who decided not to write official reports about the incident for fear of ridicule. Fox has admitted, well, in the apartment and sitting in a chair, young Peter looked over at him and suddenly Fox found himself on the floor, his chair flipped up from under him. At least in your normal work, if you're confronted with a big man, you can defend yourself, he says. But this was different, unpredictable. I think it was some sort of invisible energy which you couldn't see. Later, Fox lectured about the case at the Ontario Police College. As it turned out, I think the spirit was playful, not harmful, Fox said. Guy William Playfair, a UK parapsychologist who investigated the Enfield Poltergeist case, believes that as children enter puberty, they may be filled by their pineal glads with an unusual sexual and creative energy which manifests itself in moving objects in rare cases. In folklore and parapsychology, a poltergeist, German for noisy ghost or noisy spirit, is a type of ghost or other supernatural entity which is responsible for physical disturbances such as loud noises and objects being moved or destroyed. They have traditionally been described as troublesome spirits who haunt a particular person instead of a specific location. Such alleged phenomenon has been reported in many cultures and countries including the United States, India, Japan, Brazil, Australia, and most European nations. Early accounts date back to the first century. Many claimed poltergeist events have been proved to be hoaxes. Psychical researcher Frank Pudmore proposed the naughty little girl theory for poltergeist cases, many of which seem to center around an adolescent 
usually a girl. He found that the center of the disturbance was often a child who was throwing objects around to fool or scare people for attention. Skeptical investigator Joe Nichols says that claimed poltergeist incidents typically originate from, quote, an individual who has motivated to cause mischief, end quote. According to Nichol, in the typical poltergeist outbreak, small objects are hurled through the air by unseen forces, furniture is overturned, or other disturbances occur. Usually just what could be accomplished by a juvenile trickster determined to plague credulous adults. Nickel writes that reports are often exaggerated by the witnesses. He says, time and time again in other poltergeist outbreaks, witnesses have reported an object leaping from its resting place supposedly on its own, when it is likely that a perpetrator had secretly obtained the object sometime earlier and waited for an opportunity to fling it even from the room outside of the witnesses, thus supposedly proving he or she was innocent. According to some research, claims of poltergeist activity can be explained by psychological factors such as illusion, memory lapses, and wishful thinking. A study conducted in 1998 wrote that poltergeist activities are delusions. Psychologist Donovan Rockliffe has written that almost all poltergeist cases that have been investigated turned out to be based on trickery, whilst the rest are attributed to psychological factors, such as hallucinations. Attempts have also been made to scientifically explain poltergeist disturbances that have not been traced to fraud or psychological factors. Skeptic and magician Milborn Christopher found that some cases of poltergeist activity can be attributed to unusual air currents, such as a 1957 case on Cape Cod where downdrafts from an uncovered chimney became strong enough to blow a mirror off the wall, overturn chairs, and knock things off shelves. In the 1950s, Guy William Lambert proposed that reported poltergeist phenomena could be explained by the movement of underground water causing stress on houses. He suggested that water turbulence could cause most strange sounds and even structural movement of the property, possibly causing the house to vibrate and move objects. Later researchers such as Alan Gold and Tony Cornell tested Lambert's hypothesis placing specific objects in different rooms and subjecting the house to strong mechanical vibrations. They discovered that although the structure of the building had been damaged, only a few of the objects moved a very short distance. The skeptic Trevor H. Hall criticized the hypothesis, claiming it was true. The building could almost certainly fall into ruins. According to Richard Wiseman, the hypothesis has not held up to scrutiny. Michael Persinger has theorized that seismic activity could cause poltergeist phenomenon. David Turner, a retired physical chemist, suggests that ball lightning might cause the spooky movement of objects blamed on poltergeist. However, parapsychologists Nandor Fedor and William G. Roll suggest that poltergeist activity can be explained by psychokinesis. Poltergeist activity has also been believed to be the work of malicious spirits by spiritualists. For many, the poltergeist phenomenon is frightful and unimaginable, but to others, they want to invoke the phenomenon and perhaps even communicate with it. That concludes Season 1, Episode 4, The St. Catherine's Poltergeist. On our next episode, we will discuss the poltergeist phenomenon with researcher Dr. Christopher Larson. I hope you can join us. Until then, remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and join us on our Facebook page. Just search up unsolved mysteries of the world. Thank you.